0: All right, if you have your Bibles, let's uh, go back to where we have been for the last couple of weeks, Proverbs chapter 17. And uh, last week we uh, talked about and entered into our fourth and final balance uh, of getting a biblical balance in our life. You know, we have taken that verse and kind of have taken it just about every aspect of life that we deem as important and showing you how that is so absolutely vital to have a balance in your life. And so far, we haven't examined a lot of different areas. We have looked at God and how He's a balanced being, the Word of God, how the Bible is the most balanced book you ever saw in your life. We even put our own church under the scrutiny of it and, and, uh, and looked at that. And then last week, we began to look at areas in our own personal life. And last week, we talked about the family. We took the whole week and just focused on the ba- whole message, sorry, and just talked about the balance of a family. I think one of the single greatest balances in all of our lives, uh, because our family certainly is our first ministry, um, and it's so important to have our families balanced out. And then uh, the aspect of providing a vision within that study last week uh, for your family. And I showed you how that the three parts of that vision that make up a balance. We looked at it at Habakkuk chapter 2. We talked about writing the vision, how to make it plain upon the tables, and then so that whoever reads it can run with it. We made the application to tell your own family. Now, today I want to move into, and also next week, I want to, finishing this up, I want to move into uh, the areas of relationships in our lives. Uh, areas of our lives that uh, go along with association. You've heard me say it many, many times. Uh, You are who you associate with. When you associate with people who love God, you're going to have a tendency to come out on the other side loving God. You associate with people who don't love God, and you'll you'll be absolutely pulled away at some point in your life. It just works that way. It just works that way. And uh, there's times in our lives that uh, associations are good, and there's times in our lives where the associations are bad. And I've said it many, many times. We've talked about it. Uh, As you get saved and you grow, there's things that you have to put out of your life, people that need to go in your life. (laughs) I'm reminded of a, a lady one time I heard a story about that. She heard a sermon from her pastor about changing her life, and she said, if anybody has to change my life, I do. And so she committed herself to changing her life, and one of her friends called her one time and and uh, and uh, on a cell phone and it didn't she didn 't answer and she got her voicemail and it says, "Hi, this is mary uh, i can 't take your phone call right now i 'm changing some things in my life, and if i don 't call you back you 're one of the things that i 'm changing <laughs> I like that I think that 's good because in associations, there have to be some things sometimes that we have to uh, let go and completely understand. And today, you know, uh, we will take the idea of of a biblical balance to another level. And our text again today will be Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1, and it says, A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Now, Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus, and we do love you today. And Lord, though our hearts are heavy, and Lord, we, uh, we, we, we weep and we uh, feel all of the grief of losing Kyle and, and uh, what his family must be going through. Uh, Father, we know that he's with you and that uh, our job today is to love them, to be there for them, to support them, but Lord, to help lift them up, pick them up, Lord, and we all need to keep moving forward before that day and then we're all back together again today. Uh, so help us today, Lord, to put the Word of God together. Help us to have a clear thoughts and a clear mind and a clear presentation And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For the sake we ask it, amen. Now, today I want to talk about the balance of finding a New Testament local church, understanding the doctrine of a New Testament local church. I I think that's vital. Uh, Last week, we saw the church's importance. And maybe you never really fully understood it last week, but last week I told you how that the New Testament church is the structure in our lives. It's a vital structure. When God instituted the concept of society, life on earth, he he instituted three institutions. The first one, I gave you these last week, was marriage. The second one is civil government. And the third is the church. And the church is the structure for all of us to be in, to stay in, and to work through. I, I likened it as God replaced himself with three things when he went back to heaven. He gave us the Holy Spirit of God in Acts chapter 1. He gave us the Word of God by the time John finished up writing the book of Revelation. And then in the book of Acts, he gave us the church. Those three things, I gave you this also last week, form the balance. The Holy Spirit of God is my guide. The Word of God is my roadmap. But the local New Testament church is the vehicle. Wherever you're going to go in life, Whatever you're going to do, now listen to me, wherever you go in life, whatever you're going to do, you have to have a vehicle to get there. It has to be, for a perfect balance, the New Testament local church. But man, there's a million churches out there today. I don't believe for a moment that, that, uh, that our church is the only church on the planet that teaches the Bible. I don't believe that. Uh, sometimes people think that or think I think that, but that's not true. Uh, that's just not but I do know that it's hard to find a church today that has the balance. I do know that for a fact. I probably get two or three phone calls a month from people off our website, and there are various places around this country, and they ask me, hey, I live here. Do you know where I can find a really good church? Somebody else will say, you know, uh, uh, I have people ask me at work or I have people I talk to and they want to know, you know, where a good church is or how to find a good church. Uh, and, and, and this is what I always tell them, what I'm about to show you. I, I actually give them this. I'm very careful about pushing other churches or saying, well, this is a good church, unless I really know it pretty well. But uh, this is what I always tell them. So I'm just going to start here, walk you through it. And we'll see how it goes. Now, it, it goes without saying, and we all understand this we live, we certainly live in confusing times in Christianity today. We really do. With almost everything important uh, and Bible based uh, has been abused. It, it really has. And I feel bad about that, and I know probably some of you get sick of me saying it. And uh, and it lends to the tendency, you know, that we think we're the only ones that write it. And that's not true. That's just simply not true. But we do believe the Bible. I can't make nor will I make apologies for believing it and going by it when other people don't want to. I'm not going to do that. And if that puts me in a very small minority, then so be it. I didn't choose to be there. I didn't work at being there. God did it when he wrote the book. You either believe it or you don't. Now, when you believe it, it puts you in one category. When you don't believe it, it puts you in another category. It is not my fault today that most people don't believe it, and the category is humongous of people who don't, and the category is very minute who do. That's not my fault. So lighten up. <laughs> I want you to understand some things today. I think I think this will this will help you. I think it'll help you be able to to uh, understand the concept of a local New Testament church. It'll it'll help you be able to define things when you see them or better at least understand them. Now, based on the New Testament, a New Testament local church uh, needs to be balanced fundamentally in three things, and this is why it's fitting into where we're at today. Now, I know, I know there are many dimensions uh, to a church, many levels to it. I get it. But all of these levels will be covered in these three aspects. I know in in, in Acts chapter twenty, uh, at the church at Ephesus, you want a great study. There are six things there in that chapter that a New Testament local church should be. You say, "Well, Bob, you're given three. There's six there." What I'm saying is that all of those other things are found in these three. These three are the fundamental bases. There's three things you look at, and there's three things that you follow. The first thing you look at is foundationally. On the foundation is the church totally based on the Bible. That's the first thing you look at. The second thing you look at is the church, a Bible preaching church. That's the second thing you look for. And the third thing you look for is the church, a Bible teaching church. Now, when you are looking for a church, or we're talking about it from a Bible, trying to get a biblical uh, understanding of it in a balance or you're confronted with something, these are the three things that you look for. Now, i got to be honest with you. Most people never do. I have never found a time in my life when God's people are so illiterate about what they do with God and the Bible and churches. Uh, They wonder why they have problems. They wonder why they have issues. I have never seen a time in all of my life where people are so flagrant when it comes to understanding Uh, these kind of things. A church is a lot like building a relationship with a girlfriend or a boyfriend. I know you don't think of it that way, but think out of the box for a minute this morning. A church, finding a church, joining a church, being associated with a church, is a lot like finding a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It works like this. At some point, you get introduced to somebody. If you're a guy, a girl, hopefully. If you're a girl, a guy, hopefully. And you get an introduction. And there's times that somebody will say, come and visit my church. That's an introduction. But you know if the relationship is going to develop, it helps into a friendship. Somebody says, I like her. I like him. Yeah, I'll go out with you again. Yeah, I'll hang out with you. Yeah, I'll go here. I'll go there. And when it comes to a church, you get to the point where you start going back and you start digging a little deeper, finding out a little bit more about it. And then you know as well as I do, especially you married people and you people who have boyfriends and girlfriends, you know that it develops at some point that relationship into a courtship. Now you're going, now you're going out with them on a regular basis. Now you're not interested in this guy or this gal. And it's the same way with the church. You now have developed a relationship with your church and you're not really concerned about other churches anymore. And then you know what happens you get married. you get married. Joe, you're getting married. You're getting married based on a relationship. You're getting married because, did you not go through these same things that I'm talking about? Did he do them right, honey? Did he do them right? Did he do them good? Kind of. Okay, there you go. <laughs> this thing may be over before it get started. Anyhow. <laughs> then you get married. And you know what happens when... In a church, when you get married, you join it. You decide, this is where I'm going to be. And then just like a couple, when you get married, you spend the rest of your life together doing whatever you do. When you join a church, you spend the rest of your life together serving the Lord. See how it works? So it's important. It's important. And, you know, it's, it's so true in relationships. In, in, in relationships, if you don't follow some basic biblical rules, and we're going to get into a lot of this next week, in a personal relationship, it's going to be a disaster. And, and you know as well as I do, most relationships start by the guy or the gal only looking at the outside. She's beautiful. Oh, he's the most handsome guy i ever met in my life. Yeah, and a year later, the most handsome guy of in life turned into Freddy Krueger overnight. <laughs> and people pick churches the same way. Oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, look at the steeple. Oh, they got bells that ring. Oh, look at this. I mean, that sanctuary is unbelievable. The sound system, the big screens, you can sit there and it's so comfortable and all of that stuff. That's the way we pick relationships and that's why we pick churches the same way. And you know why? That's why they both end in disasters many, many times. I'm just telling you. It's not the appearance on the outside. It's what's on the inside. And when it comes to a church, you build a relationship with it. And if you're Bible-based and the church is not, you're going to have some problems. Now, I'm going I'm to lay this out to you by going back to the very start, because I think you need to understand this. I want to talk from the Bible where church begins. We've never done that. And I think that understanding the balance, I think it's real important. All I'm really going to do today, and I'll tell you as I go through, I'm going to give you 10 key verses about churches found in the Bible. I'm saying that now so you can't accuse me later of saying, well, that's just Bob's opinion. No, no. Bob has no opinion other than God's opinion. So I'm going to be very clear to tell you, I'm going to be very clear to show you, and i will be very clear to kick the snot out of you if you say something I didn't say this morning a little bit later on. I'm just kidding. I want you to see this. It goes without saying that a church needs to believe the Bible, teach the Bible, and be solid in its doctrine. I get that. But it's more than that. And I see today a lot of churches getting started off on the wrong foot. When I say number one Bible-based, I'm saying it was its beginning as a church based on the Bible or man. Was it based on the book of Acts or was it based on some guy's desire? Was it based on a New Testament model or was it based on something that somebody just wanted to do? Now, here's our first set of verses that you want to get. Now the model for a Bible-based New Testament church is found in the book of Acts, chapter thirteen, verses one, two, and three. And so I'd love you to, like you to turn there, please. I, I'm gonna many times I'll just tell you to write it down, but not today. I want you to see what I'm telling you is the, exactly what I'm telling you. Now it says in Acts chapter thirteen, verse one. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them And they had fasted and prayed. They laid their hands on them and sent them away. Now, uh, the first issue here, it's not not, uh, does the church believe the Bible, but the first issue I want to talk about was the church started biblically. I have a saying I say, and uh, there's a lot of people that don't like this saying. I I hear a lot of times, ah, he always says that, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a true saying. You know what I always say? If it starts wrong, it usually ends wrong. Now, you may not like that, but that's a dying truth. You know why you don't like it? Because you ain't been around long enough to see the fruition of it. I've seen it happen. I've seen marriages start wrong and end wrong. I've seen kids and families start wrong and seen them end wrong, 45 years worth. And I've seen some churches start wrong and end wrong. I mean, I know what I'm talking about here. I'm convinced today <clears throat> with people uh, should be. I'm concerned today with people who will use parts of the Bible that they like and parts that serve them and serves their purpose, but yet they'll cast away the same truth in other areas when it doesn't line up with their private agendas. And that's very suspect to me. Now, here's your second verse that I want you to turn to. And this one's over in Proverbs chapter 127, verse 1. And it says, And this is true last week of starting a family. It's true in starting anything, but it's basically fundamentally true in starting a church. Now get this verse. We're going to start with this. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. That's a great verse. Pardon me? I'm sorry? Oh, Proverbs 127? What did I say? I got... Don't I feel like the fool? I got Psalms right here, and I told you Proverbs. You know why? Proverbs on my mind. I'm sorry. Psalms 127. You should have known better. Now it was a test to see if you really knew your Bible. You really know your Bible, dear. Everybody else just went to it like blind sheep to the slaughter. My fault. Psalms 127:1. 1. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build. You know when you're preaching. You can tell when you just said something nobody got. It's just like, oh, ooh, you know, it does not compute. So anyway, you got it now. From the Bible, Bible-based is not just as important as, uh, as, as the church teaching Bible, but how it starts is just as vital. Now, let's look at our model church here at Antioch, and we're going to stay here for a little bit. We can go back to Acts chapter 13 now. This passage makes it very clear of the importance of a New Testament church as the structure for starting other churches. Now, I want you to get this. We know that the church is a structure. It's a vehicle. We don't have the license to use the Bible where it's convenient, but not use it when we want to do our own thing. We just don't have that. Now, I'll read it again. Now, there was the church that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas, Simon, which is called Uh, Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work thereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. Now, the first thing I want you to see, if you can't pick it up on your own here, nobody just goes out and starts a church. Bible makes it very clear in verses 2 and 3, they're sent out. You don't go out. And if you notice on down through here, it's the Holy Spirit of God doesn't tell the person. The Holy Spirit of God speaks through the leadership of the structure, the church. And the Holy Spirit of God told the brethren, the leaders of the church, who it was going to be, when they needed to go, and where they were going to go. A young guy today, he just doesn't decide, hey, I'm going out and start a church. And you're going to see why by the time I'm done. Now, that may seem like it's no big deal, but once you put the church in the context of a Bible and you look at the confusion in Christianity today, I think maybe you better understand it. If it's biblical, the leadership of the church within the structure of the church, the one that you're ministering in on a daily basis, the one you have married the one that you have spent and said, this is where I am. I went through the process. This is my church. I'm married to it. I'm going to serve the Lord the rest of my life here. And then God comes down and says to the leadership, separate me this guy. That's how it works. Listen, starting a church is a calling. And God never, listen to me, God never calls a man outside the structure. He just does not. There's a biblical process for starting a New Testament church and it's based on God showing the leadership of that church that God has called you, not you deciding that you have been called. Verse 2 says the Holy Spirit of God said to the leadership, separate me, Paul and Barnabas. He's called Saul here, but it's Paul. You see, that's your safety net. Called by the church, sent out through the church. And any other process is simply not of God. God never violates his own principles, never does. We may pick and choose of the Bible which we like. Oh, I like this, but when I want to do my own thing, I don't follow it. God doesn't do that. And we shouldn't do it either. Notice Barnabas and Saul, Paul, are working in their New Testament local church right alongside of the other brethren. Why? Because that's the structure. Now, I'm going to ask you a series of questions as we go through this, but let me ask you a question. Once you become a pastor, how do you require your people to stay within the structure that you have If you were not willing to stay within the structure that God gave you, I'm waiting. There's no answer to that. Either God gave the church as the structure or God didn't. And when a guy says, I'm going to start my own church, this now is the structure, you need to be faithful to the structure. How about you, pal? Just because you want to do this and you want to throw the biblical principles out so you can do it, then you get into a situation where you're going to demand people to do what the Bible says in your structure, but you wasn't willing to do in your structure. See the problem we get into? Can I be honest this morning? Just stay with the book, man. Just stay with the book. It was given to us for a reason. It wasn't given, you know, when Moses got the Ten Commandments, they were given to the nation of Israel to follow. Anybody read in the Old Testament that it was the Ten Suggestions? They were commandments. When Israel followed them, God blessed them. When they didn't follow them, they got clobbered. The church is a training ground to prove you out, to get you all the experience you need, to get you ready for God to call you through the leadership. You don't drop out of ministry or go to church once every four or five weeks or or whatever and then suddenly pop up and say, hey, I'm going to go start a church. God called me. No, son, you called yourself. Doesn't work that way. Maybe in your world it does, but not in God's world. I've told you a thousand times, if a guy won't do the ministry here and be a vital part of the church work here and prove himself and grow through it, if he does not do that, he certainly won't do it when he goes out. And God will never call anybody outside the structure. God will not violate his own principles. Now, we live in a day of Christianity where we pretty much don't care to do some things in the Bible. I get that. I've told you many, many times that Christianity is like the book of Judges. You know what the problem was in the book of Judges? There was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes, and that's the way Christianity is today in its Laodicean and church age. I have to laugh sometimes. You know, I never forget conversations with people about the Bible I only lose my car keys 20 times a day and I have to have two cell phones just to call the one I can't find. <laughs> ah, You're laughing, but I'm telling you the truth. But I remember a conversation with somebody about the Bible and ministry for 20 years. I had a, I had a guy tell me one time years ago. He's kind of a pious little guy, but nice kid. And this was years ago. He said, well, I think it's wrong. Uh, in a, one of our Bible studies, uh, when I was at another church, somebody asked a question about going to the, uh, to the boats the eat at the buffets over there. I mean, if you got great food, eat all you want. I mean, it is a glutton's paradise. <laughs> and a lot of people like to go there. A lot of people like to go to the boats and they like to eat there. Well, this guy got kind of offended by it. And he's a Christian. And he got up there and came to see me afterwards. And he said, you know what? He said, "I think that I think that it's wrong for to go to the boats uh, because people gamble there. They sell alcohol there. Well, you may be eating over here, but right across the little sidewalk, you go in there, and there's people gambling their lives away." And he says, "And I'll tell you something else. Most people that, that see you go in there, they don't know you're going in to eat. They don't know what you're doing. They can, they can, they can, they can think you're going in there and gamble." And I and I and I thought to myself, you know. A little bit later on, this guy went out and did his own thing and started his own church. And I thought to myself, yeah, when it comes to having convictions about not going to the boats, you got real strong convictions. But when it comes to having convictions about building a church the right way, you just throw them out the window. Biggest bunch of hypocrites you ever saw in your life out there today. Listen, in 1971, I got right with God. Boy, did I ever. And when I got right with God, I just, I, 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 I skipped the introduction. I skipped the relationship. I went straight to the marriage. And, brother, I'll tell you what, I, 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 God put a man in my life, and God put in my life what I needed, and I, I fell in love with the Lord and the Word of God, and I'd love to tell you I did everything right all my life. I haven't, but I'm going to tell you something. Even when I didn't do what's right, I knew down in my heart who was right and who was wrong. And I'll never forget, I was the happiest guy in the world. Had a ministry. I was working with Mel Shabaka, my father in the Lord. I was doing everything there and helping him and going around and learning everything I could. I'd travel with him when he preached. I used to play the trumpet back then. I'd lead his song service. It was a little like Billy Sunday and the Rover Roto-Hooder. The guy used to play the trombone. And I used to get up there and we used to just knock. We traveled all across Ohio. And then one day he left and went to New York to build a church. My world was shattered I wanted to go to New York so bad with him that I could taste it. The man who God put in my life, who brought me where I was, that brought me where where everything I needed, had now had the call of God in his life and he went up to New York to start a church. I wanted to go so bad I couldn't stand it. But you know what? I was taught the Bible. I believed the principles. And I understood that God called him. But as much as I wanted to go, God didn't call me. So I stayed where I was. But that time, I I knew God had called me to preach, and I didn't know what exactly he wanted me to do, but I know he wanted me to do something. And I had such a burden and a desire and a burning in my heart to step out and do something. But I was taught the Bible. And I know that I could not go anywhere or do anything until the leadership of that church said, and in one day, nine months to the day after he left, I got a phone call from the pastor and says, we got a call from Truman Dollar out in Kansas City. He's looking for a youth man. The pastor sat down this morning and agreed, you're the guy for the job. We want you to go to Kansas City. We started this church. I knew every church in the New Testament was started by another New Testament church. So I waited. I was going to New Hope Baptist Church where I met John and Betsy and his lovely family. And we got to the point where uh, they went from there and became a lighthouse. I think they're a garage now, but anyway, they went through a metamorphosis, backwards. God had put in my heart to build a church but I had been taught the principles and I knew that anything I would do on my own would just be my flesh. So I waited. I never told anybody. I never said anything. And Pastor Whalen, bless his heart, one Sunday come and put his arm around me, pulled me on the side and said, God told me it's time for you to start a church and I want to help you. Some of you were there, a first service. He preached the service in our church, commissioning our church you got to preach your own commissioning service <laughs> And today most guys, I'm just being honest with you, they call themselves and they make a royal mess out of it. Here's your third verse. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 5. Paul told Timothy now, Paul is telling Timothy. Paul was Timothy's son of the Lord. Timothy's a pastor who now has pastoring a church. And here's what his father Lord told him. He said, a man strives for the masteries, yet a man is not crowned and rest he run lawfully. You start a church, it better be by the book from top to bottom, inside and out. Now, when it's done right by the book, Acts 13:1 through 3, and it's done biblically in God's timing, then the leadership of the church recognizes what's being done, recognizing it's God, and then the church rallies around that couple, puts about 20 or 30 people with them, sends them out to do the work. It is almost virtually impossible today for a young man to go out and build a work without a base there to support him. When he does, he's stupid. I've been in this business 40 plus years. I know what it takes. I know how hard it is. And I know that you are going to either do it in your power or you're going to do it in God's power. And if you don't go that way, my advice to you is to get out of the way, man. It's going to wind up going nowhere and keep yourself away from it. Hey, I've dealt with guys who think they've been called the starter church, and I always deal with it two ways. And I've told you this before. I've done this 40 years. When a guy comes in to me and he says, Bob, we've worked together in the ministry, five, six, seven, eight, 9 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 years, Man, I've hung by you. I've been there, everything you've done. You've taught me everything, you know, and I want you to know that God has really burdened my heart, and I tell you what, and I, just, and I, just, I want you to help me. I want you to help me get there, help me clearing it all out, help me make sure I'm doing the right thing. I don't want to do anything stupid. I, I, I'm willing to stay here the rest of my life if that's what God's want, but I've been in this ministry. I've learned. I've seen it. I've been part of it. I've been with you by your side, and now God is putting a burden in my heart. When that happens, you take that guy and you help him and you bring him along. You find out what God's doing. God will have been speaking to the leadership. And that's how he does it. Guy comes to me, second scenario. Comes in and sits down and already has his plan in mind, already has people in mind, already has his structure ready to go and coming in and asking for my blessing. Hey, if I tried to help you and work with you and you've been deeply depressed, and you're really off your nut, and you really have a lot of emotional problems, and I spend hours and hours and hours working with you, and you call me up one day and say, I'm going to go jump off the bridge, you got my blessing. If you're, if you're not going to follow the book, what in the world has my blessing got to do with it? You don't need my blessing. You need God's blessing. That's where it starts. But you got to do it his way to get his blessing, don't you? I'm telling you. So you see, guys who operate that way have have never been called by God. You know how I know that? I'm a Bible believer. I believe all of it. I even believe the parts I don't like. I even believe the parts that tell me that I can't do what I know I want to do. And I know that God never works outside the structure of the New Testament local church. He never does. You know, Donnie, if I came over to you tomorrow morning and I said, Donnie, give me a job working for your construction company. And I sat down there in your office and you looked at me and I had my brand new tool belt on. I had a hammer, had a safety helmet had every tool that I needed. You might get a little suspect that they're brand new and the price tags are still on them. You ever have anybody ever come into to you, Donnie, to want the job and oversell themselves? Yeah. If I sit there and say, hey, Donnie, I know how to build anything. I've watched over 500 home video movies on redoing your house. I, I can do it all. You'd hire me, Donnie, you'd know by the end of the day I know nothing about construction. You'd send me out to build a deck. You'd get more phone calls. That lady would walk out and say, what a nice deck, and the thing went over. I'd build a wall. You'd have a lawsuit because four kids and a dog was killed when it fell over on them. I don't know anything about it. I don't know anything. Bob, if I came to you, Bob is a vice president or man in charge or whatever he does. He's pretty big up the ladder there, but they build radio beacons. Those big round things. I know you do a lot of things. Help me out here, Bob. I don't care. With those big cones on them that help airplanes fly where they need to go. If I come to you tomorrow morning and say, Bob, I, I know how to do that. Man, I can fix those things. I can put those things up. But Bob, I, I know all about that. I watch airplanes land all the time. I know exactly how they do it. And you say, okay, Bob. And you, you know, I know you send your people out. You send me over to Tokyo. The to stall one in Tokyo. You'd know because you'd get this phone call. Oh, you said fool over here. (laughs) Where you get this idiot? We're going to chop him up and send him back in a little box. He put up landing tower for planes to land in Tokyo. They're landing in Moscow. Now, you guys, you've been doing this for a long time, what you do. And you're qualified. You're qualified. If I need something fixed in my home, Donnie, and you come over there and you 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 just say, well, Bob, we need to do this, we need to do that, I don't know what I need to do, but I trust you because you know, you know what you need to do. I remember one time when I got... Steve had the construction company. And remember when I got water, where's Steve at? Whenever I got water in my basement, and I, I, you know, and I, he had a guy come out to test the soil. He had a guy come out, and I'm back run off of the guy's property up here, and I'm getting water down there every time it rains really heavy. I, you know It ruined my basement. And they had one guy. His name, I don't think Jr. works for you anymore, does he? But Jr. was a master he, with a backhoe. He looked at it and said, we just need to get the water away from the house. <laughs> no kidding, J.R. <laughs> How about if we send it over to Tokyo? <laughs> he took that backhoe, a big backhoe. I'm not talking about a little shovel, a backhoe. And he sculptured ground at the end of my yard right before my where my deck used to be, was a cement slab now, he sculptured that thing down there and turned that thing just right that when the water ran down to my deck, it got in that thing and he had it angled so perfectly and right that the water formed there, ran down here, and came down both sides of my house out to the street. You could, that was, what, Steve, 15 years ago? No, we had the church down. It had to be 10 years ago at least. I can come over when it's raining. <laughs> I can stand in my driveway and watch the rain coming down, and watch that water still running down after ten years. He was a he was he, he had an art for those things. Give me a backhoe. <laughs> now you guys are qualified to do that. You've been doing this a long time. You can look at a guy hear him talk, and you can know if he's going to be a good match for you. Well, can I have the same courtesy? I've been in this business for over 40 years. I've never counted them up, but I probably got 200-plus guys and gals in the ministry in 40-some years. Don't you think I know a little bit about what I'm doing? Well, I'm telling you, just like he can look at a guy and talk to a guy and watch a guy work and says he ain't going to make it. He's oversold himself. I can watch a guy in a ministry and I can tell you, he oversold himself. I had a pastor say one time, and he's a little wannabe, really is. He told his church, if you're not in four years' time in the ministry and out pastoring, there's something wrong with you. What a clown. Really? Really? Come over here to show you the fourth thing. (coughs) I'm going to broaden your horizons this morning a little bit. Ephesians chapter 4. And if it's not Ephesians, just pretend it is and shut up. (coughs) Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 7 through 11. Yeah, Bible again. Now look at verse 7. He says, But unto every one of you is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. Now here's what I want you to see. And gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it, but also he descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fulfill all things. Now here it comes. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the work of the ministry of the saints, for for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, the thing I want you to see is look at verse 8. He gave gifts to men. Now, follow the progression through your Bible. He gave some, verse 11, apostles. That would be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Verse 11, he gave prophets. That would be the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and moving into the early part of the book of Acts. Verse 11 says he gives some evangelists. That's Acts chapter 8 and 9. That's Philip, and that's also Paul. And then he says he gave some pastors and teachers. That's First and 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. That's called the pastoral epistles. Now then the position of a pastor is one of the gifts given to the church. And not everybody has that gift. And it's okay if you don't. You know, you have to come to the place in your Christian life that you realize that there's something God will call somebody else to do that he won't call you to do. I don't mean this to be funny, but it's probably going to come out funny. I'd love to sing. I I envy you people who can really sing. I I listen to somebody get up there and just really let it come out, and boy, I tell you what, I'd give anything in the world to to do that. But you know what? The guy sitting out there listening to me preach, and he's a great singer, he's saying, I'd give anything in the world to preach like he does. The bottom line is you've got to be satisfied with what God has given you. And if God hasn't given you the gift of being a pastor, then you don't have it. And trying to have it when you don't have it and trying to make it happen outside the structure is going to be a disaster for you. Now, you may not want to listen to me on that, but I'm telling you, there's three sets of spiritual gifts in your Bible. There's the sign gifts to Israel. There's the gifts to the church here. And then there's a spiritual gifts to you and me in our daily work and our daily life with God. Now, let me give you the fifth principle. Fifth, fifth, verse. Pastoring is a gift. Not everybody has the gift. You know what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter four, verse fifteen. I'll get this down. It's the Bible again. He told Timothy. Now I say again, this is a an evangelist who won a kid to Christ, and he's given this pastor advice. He says, "Neglect not the gift that is in thee." which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Presbytery means congregation. Now that gift there that he has, Timothy has the gift of being a pastor. But I want you to notice the gift that he had that Paul said, don't neglect, look at it. It was given by the congregation. They recognized it. And in Acts chapter 16, verse 2, young Timothy's in the church at Deborah and Lystra. And the Bible says he was well-reported by the brethren. Here's a guy who, who gave his whole life. He married the church. He was part of the ministry in everything. He just didn't go when it was convenient. He didn't put his family first or this first or that first. He recognized that he was married to this church. This was his structure. This was the vehicle to get him where he wanted to go. Now, over the years, and every pastor could tell these stories, every one of them, every pastor out there. Over the years, I've had young guys do it on their own, and in every case, they were not doing the ministry here first. When some went, they went out very nicely, no problems at all. When some went in, they went very deceitfully with all kinds of problems. But according to the Bible, it doesn't matter if he was nice when he did it or he wasn't nice when he did it. They're both wrong when it came to the scriptures. I've taught this concept a 100 times. A number of years ago, about 25 years ago now, if I say this guy's name, some of you older folks would know who I'm talking about, so I won't do it. But it was a young. He was a young man back then, and he was in my ministry, and I helped him. We were good friends. I gave him his first part of the ministry. I let him do things for me and help me. And uh, he was there by my working with me about three or four years. And uh, one day, I find out that uh, he's holding secret Bible studies at his own home. I dig a little deeper and find out that the secret Bible studies have to do with he really wants to go out and start his own church. Never came to me certainly wasn't called out by the leadership of the church. And he wanted to go out and do his own thing. Now, I call this in the Bible the Absalom syndrome. Absalom was David's son who wanted to be the king instead of David. So he hangs out down by the gate, and when all the people come in that are David's people, he starts questioning them of what they want to come in, and, he, and they start talking to him, and he says, Oh, don't bother going to David. I'll help you with your problem. And you know what? If I were king, oh, if I was the pastor, that's where it goes. That's where it goes. Today, he's out of the ministry. He lost his family. He lost his wife. He lost his kids. He lost his church. And you know why? Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build it. had a guy one time this has been a while, a while, quite a while ago, too. Uh, I, I had a guy one time, and, and uh, you know, uh, he talked about how much he loved God, loved the Word of God, and, oh, yeah, how much he loved me. I'm a spiritual father. Uh, you know, and, and he kept he kept wherever he was going. He kept leaving place to place. He'd be here a while, and then God called him somewhere else, and then God called him somewhere else, and then God called him somewhere else. And, you know, and me, I don't, I, I'm just thinking about the thing. And then one day I got a phone call from an IRS inspector wanted to know if I knew what this guy was. And I said, well, I said, uh, um, uh, uh, he's somewhere out there. He keeps moving around. He showed me the paper trail That every place this guy had been, when he said God moved him, he had a court date because he had shammed somebody on the rent, shammed somebody on the car, and they were coming after him, taking him to court, and so he left and moved on and went someplace else. Now, how'd you like to be in a church with a guy like that? Well, today, a lot of people are. A lot of people are. Hey, I've seen him over the years not do it right, never should have been a pastor, I've seen them go out without the structure of a New Testament church and do their own thing and claim that God called them. And two or three years later, they're still running two or three people and wonder why. The answer is simple. You're building it instead of God. I had another guy. And this was years ago, too. He, he moved to Kansas City. He came from Ohio. And he actually stayed with us for a short period of time while well, he got his feet on the ground. And uh, uh, he went to the mission field, failed there. And he came back and went to my buddy's church. And he was a kind of a real Pharisee type guy. I mean, a nice kid, but you know, that little pious Pharisee type. And he got to the place where he was going to my buddy's church. And uh, in that church, he started to talk to some of the people and have his little polling of people aside. And, and he would tell them that that, uh, that God had shown him things about the Bible that he had never shown my buddy. And in time, he wound up leaving. Now, that was probably 25 years ago. And I guarantee you today, in his church service this morning, after 25 years, he's still running 12 people and four or five of them are his family. The rest of them he stole from my buddy's church. I run into him a while back, not too oh, a couple years ago, And I said, hey, man, it's good to see you. It's good to see you. And I said, how things go? And he says, fine. I didn't get into any details because I knew what he was and I knew what he did, and it frosted me. And I said to him, I said, hey, you know what? Why don't we get together sometime? And he said, that would be great. I said, I got a great idea. There's a Walmart right by my house, and the security is really lax. We can go in there, and we can shoplift some movies, some computer parts cell phones. What do you think about that? He said, you're kidding me. I, said, I love it. You're kidding me. <laughs> you can't just say, you're kidding me. It's got to be, you're kidding me. I said, no, I'm not kidding you. He said, well, I can't believe you'd even suggest that. I said, really? I said, what's the difference of me and you going into Walmart and shoplifting from there and you shoplifting the people out of my buddy's church? Do you know what Paul said in Romans chapter 15, verse 20? This is your sixth verse. This one's a killer. Romans 15, 20, he says, He was called to preach the gospel, but he wouldn't build off another man's foundation. Read it. You ever notice how unbiblical biblical people can be when the Bible gets in their way of what they want to do? Hey, I've seen them come and I've seen them go. And they all go through the same process. The real damage gets done with the people, to the people who get fooled because of the fact that they don't see it from what it really is. And uh, I mean, uh, (laughs) uh, now the second thing, and you're going to have to allow me to enjoy this. I've had a rough week, so I want to enjoy this next section. (laughs) Not that I didn't enjoy the first one. Now the second thing a church has to be is a Bible-preaching church. Now, I know this is foreign to many of you younger Christians because you grew up and all you know is this mess that we have around us. But we live in a Christian world today that is built solely and completely on teaching the Bible and not preaching the Bible. And I know some of you won't get this, but I'm going to tell you anyhow. You can't build a church today without the ability to be able to preach the Word of God. I'm not talking about in some squeaky little high-level voice like you just come out of puberty. There's times in the ministry, in the pulpit, you got to call down thunder from heaven. I grew up at the end of the greatest church era that the world ever saw. Those churches back then were built by men who could preach. And in pastoring a church, there's some things that can only be accomplished by preaching. And again, we see the threefold balance of this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. The New Testament church and the pastor have to have a threefold task, perfecting the saints for the work of the ministry, edifying in the body of Christ. Now, dear folks, and I love you today, you cannot perfect the saints without good, solid, hard, divisive, paint-off-the-wall preaching. You can only build a real church with preaching. You can only build a wannabe church without preaching. Preaching is a gift, and uh, uh, pastoring is a gift, and preaching is an art form. An art form of painting pictures with words. I've never collected them, but I love samurai swords. Samurai swords are one of the most collectible items you could ever find. They're very expensive. And I didn't know this till a couple of years ago to the guy that I knew collected them and showed me because I didn't know what was special, but he shows you how to hit them a certain way and the handle comes off. And then the tang comes off. And then on every one of them is the manufacturer guy who made it and the date that it was made. And many of them, that even that they used in World War II, were handed down generations. They were made in the 12, 1300s. They're a piece of art. You never have to sharpen them. You can have one that was made in 1200 and have it today and throw a piece of paper up in the air and have it. i across that paper and it'll cut it right on too. Incredible. And I've often thought of that. You know what? That's an art. And you don't, you don't find swords like that today. You get down here at Odyssey and say, I want a samurai sword. You'll get one that was made in Taiwan or China that won't cut butter when it's hot. Because the art of sword making is gone. And that's what the problem with preaching. Most preachers are imitations from Taiwan. There's no cutting edge to them. There's no sharpness to them. They can saw on you with their teaching all day long and never draw blood. You need to draw some blood sometimes when you preach in a spiritual sense, of course. Don't get nervous here. The greatest passage for a pastor and preachers is found in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. One of the greatest passages ever. And this is your seventh thing, by the way. It says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations, and said and then said I, O Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee deliver thee. saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth, and this day set thee over nations and over kingdoms, here it comes, to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. God says, I've set you, Jeremiah, over the nations. And he says, never, pastor, I've set you over people. I've set you over your own nation and the nations around the world. And your job first is to root out, pull down, to destroy, and to throw down. And you can't do those four things by teaching. You have to preach those things. Because the saints need perfected. Before you can ever build anything in anybody's life, I'll be honest, folks, we need to root out some things. We need to pull down some strongholds in our lives. We need to destroy the accursed thing like back with Achan and Joshua. Now, we need to throw down some things. Then you can build and you can plant. Brother, when you pastor a church, there are times when you need to take the paint off the walls. Now here's the eighth principle. 2 Timothy 2 3. He says the word endure a hardness as the good soldier of Jesus Christ. Preaching builds men. Preaching builds women. There's nothing wrong with teaching, you're gonna see in a minute, in our third illustration here, but preaching is what builds people. Because to build people, you have to root out. Throw down, tear down, knock down, bulldoze over some things, and you can't accomplish that with pre- uh, with teaching. You'll never build a strong church with this teaching. But that's the layer of the in church today. You don't build shoulders by wimpy, effeminate, goofy teaching. I'll never forget when I was in AIT uh, infantry. We had this. We had this. Uh, major or whatever it was, he was teaching infantry tactics. And we loved this guy because he'd been in every war back then in the 68. He was in World War II. He'd been in Korea, and he had three tours in Vietnam. He had his left side of his chest looked like an Army-Navy store. And this old boy would be out there, and he would have a big old billboard. I can see him just now. Fatigue, starched, graying hair, but boy, he was lean as a rail man, as mean as a striped snake. And he'd say, we'd all be sitting in bleachers. And he'd say, today... We're going to find out how to assault and take a fixed position. Now, here is the objective. Third platoon is going to cover the flank. Second platoon is going to cover this flank. Fourth platoon is going to be in reserve. Echo Company, you get the honor. You're going to make the assault. And you're going to come right up the middle. You guys lay down, infilate fire. You guys stay in reserve. You guys run up that middle while they're under the cover of fire when their heads are down, and you take that position. Now, who doesn't understand that? Okay, this squad's going to take this side. This squad's going to take this side. You're in reserve, and easy company, echo company, you go up the middle, and you chew their apples. He <laughs> didn't say apples. Modern version. Okay. <laughs> we have an objective. First platoon, you're on the right flank. Second platoon, you're on this flank. We're going to keep some somebody in reserve. That's when we win. We'll send you out for some girls and some pizza. <laughs> Easy company. You're going to go right up the middle. And you're going to take that position. Now, let's all hold hands. Let's sing a couple warrior songs. Now, who are you going to follow? Now, we're in a war. Now, if you ain't figured it out yet, we are in a war. Our job is to build men and women who are strong. Compassionate, yes, but strong. Loving, kind, absolutely, but strong. That you endure a hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And You don't do that with teaching. You don't do it with teaching. You just don't. Here's your ninth one. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word. He didn't say teach the word, He said preach the word in season, out of season. He didn't say teach it. He said preach it. Preaching motivates. Preaching enforces the principle. Preaching is absolute God's authoritative voice. Nobody is going to follow a guy who can't nail his hide to the wall if he's a real blood in his veins and he's a real bible washed Bible-believing child of God. Nobody. Preaching down through the history has been the mainstay of the church. It makes a strong church and it makes strong Christians. And without it, you get an effeminate Christianity with an effeminate Christian mindset. Hence the Laodicean church period. Now here's number 10. And boy, you want to get this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. And if it's Proverbs, just write it down anyhow. He said, my speech, Paul preaching, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. You see that? When a man preaches, not teaches, when a man preaches, he demonstrates the power of God and the Spirit of God over the power of man. And our faith stands in that book Because of the demonstration of preaching. In 1500, Martin Luther, through his preaching, demonstrated the power of God and brought about the Reformation. In 1700, Whitfield and Wesley and Jonathan Edwards, through the demonstration of their preaching and the power of their preaching, brought about a nation. Billy Sunday in the 1900s, through the demonstration of his preaching and the power of his preaching, single handedly, put an end to booze and brought in prohibition. Preaching changes things. Preaching demonstrates the power of God. And if you're a pastor and you can't preach, you're in the wrong business. Back in the 40s, Billy Graham demonstrated the power of God through his preaching that kept this country for 30 years from going into apostasy. And the list is endless. Endless. Sam Jones, Bob Jones Sr., Mordecai Ham, Gypsy Smith, Spurgeon, Harold Seitler, Victor and Sears, Harold Sears, Howard Sears, R. G. Lee, Lester Roloff, B. R. Lakin, John R. Rice. They made this country and churches what it was at its greatest point in time by preaching the word of God, perfecting the saints. Now, I know that many of you young Christians out there, guys with no roots, you ain't going to get this. I get it. And the little wannabes out there outside the structure, be honest, between me and you and them, if they were here, they couldn't preach their way out of a wet paper bag. Pastoring is a gift. And if you're going to pastor, you have to have some abilities. Pastoring is not, and I know in the modern churches today, I know all the big churches, they don't have pastors anymore. The pastor that used to be a pastor, he's now a CEO. They've lost the whole concept. He doesn't preach, he administrates. When's the last time you heard a message, hellfire message on the judgment seat of Christ and somebody just took the paint off the wall? Or hell. You don't get people saved by teaching. You get people saved by scaring the hell out of them by preaching the word of God. Not today. I'd put some of you guys that have been faithful into this ministry around here. I'd put you up against any one of those guys. Bible preaching is the mainstay of a, of a Bible-based New Testament local church. You lose, you lose that, and you 'll be nothing more than a messed up Laodicean soft soap church. Never in the history of Christianity has it went any other way, and the church always was carried by the preaching of the men who preached the word of God, and even though I know today you think you're an exception to the rule, you're not you're not. Now, the third thing. Yes, the church needs to be a teaching church. Preaching first, teaching second. Preaching and teaching will balance a church out. Again, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, a really good pastor, really good preacher, We'll be able to blend teaching and preaching together that you can't tell when he's doing what he's doing because it's an art form. It's a being able to blend things and, and tell stories and bring pictures, and when you leave, you have a vivid picture. You know why I know preachers, pastors can't preach today? You know why I know they can't? Because they all got to have a big screen behind them to illustrate what they want to say. They put the songs up there, and there's beautiful water flow fillings, lilies in the picture. He gets up and he preaches and somebody puts the verse up and there'll be some ecstatic picture behind it. You know why he does that? Because he lost the art of taking that book and the Spirit of God, demonstrating the power of God and preach a message that paints a picture. We've got to have mechanics do it for him. An audio man. Teaching he says, perfecting in a saint, that's preaching, work in a ministry, and edifying in a body of Christ. Where preaching will perfect the saints, teaching edifies, and that's very important. But there's a process to it. Jeremiah chapter 1 the process. Our definitive chapter on preaching and power, remember he said, root out, pull down, destroy, and throw down. Then, then you build and you plant. That's teaching, Remember this. Never forget it. Teaching always falls on the foundation of preaching. Never the other way around. These three form the balance. You preach the hell out of them. That's perfecting the saints, rooting out, tearing down, pulling down. Then you teach the book to them. That edifies them and builds you up. Then you go out and do something for God with it. That's the work of the ministry. That's how it works. Trying to teach people who are not broken without the balance of preaching and getting rid of the things in their life that they need to get rid of will produce a church of Pharisees completely out of balance. And all you have to do is just look at any church out there that the pastor is not on fire preaching uh, in the balance that it puts out. It's all fluff. It's nice, spiritual, Christian, warm, fuddy, cuddly, fuzzy, Laodicean, milk toast, pablum, surface stuff with no meat and no fire. I mean, it's just that simple. And it's all about them. If you could come there for 20 years and nobody even know who you are. Like a guy said around here being in this church is a lot like being wet in your pants in a dark suit. You get a nice warm feeling, but nobody ever notices you. That's most churches. That's most churches. Guy left my Sunday school class years ago one time, and he told me this. He said, Well, you know what? He said, I'm going to go try another church and some other places. He says, Bobby says, I like you, but you're just too much into the Bible. He says, I'm kind of a surface guy. I think he meant to say circus guy and got his words messed up. But you know, I look at that. That's the greatest compliment anybody ever gave me. How do you get too much into the Bible? Now, let me ask you this. That being true, being said, that's a true story. How'd you like to be a pastor of a church where a guy like that feels comfortable in your church? <laughs> God, tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor, man. Incredible. It's incredible. Now, that's Christianity today, that's pastoring today. And when looking at a church, When helping somebody else or just trying to figure it out yourself, there's a balance in a New Testament, Bible-based, Bible-believing church in these three areas. And it's true of any church. You know, in any church, you're always going to find two kinds of people. You're always going to find those who do it by the book and they follow the Bible, and you're going to find those who do it by the book until they want to do what they want to do, then they step outside the Bible. That's any church, any place, any time, in any part of history but there will always be those who do it biblically. And you'll see in every aspect of Christianity. The best advice I can give you, and I know most of you are young and most of you are, you know, are really trying to do what you need to do, but if you're a young man or a young lady here or middle-aged or an old person, or older person, doesn't matter uh, to me, uh, but the best advice I can give you is to follow the Bible even when you want to circumvent the principles. Don't. When you want to do your own thing, don't. The Bible wasn't written so you can do what some things you want to do because it fits your agenda but when you want to do your own thing then you step outside. It wasn't given to you for that. I'm going to tell you right now it'll save you a lot of trouble a lot of heart work. Stay within the structure that God gave you. Stay within the structure that God uh, wants to motivate you. The structure will never fail you. Run lawfully. Do all you do to the best of your ability by the book and its principles. And remember except the Lord build the house they labor in vain that build it. Now there you have it without any question, without any debate, without any argument, how a New Testament church needs to be started. You're going to Fox News and they say, okay, here's Van, uh, Van, uh, Van, uh, Van, uh, Van Sustern. She's got a program called On the Record. She goes on the record and says, This is on the record. Okay, now we're on the record. Now you know. You have somebody out there at some point in time who says, Well, I'm looking for a church. Now we're on the record. You can give them a copy of it. It's that simple. It has to be Bible-based. It has to be Bible-preaching. It has to be Bible-teaching. There's no denying it. At this point, after going through the Bible in these 10 verses, there's no denying it, only rejecting it. That's the only two options you have. Now, next week, we're going to get into the next area of relationships, and uh, we're going to talk about finding a mate and how to do this and how to do that and put it all together and all those things there. But uh, now you have it today. There's the balance in that one. And uh, we're going to be, we're gonna be uh, broke, dismissed here in a minute. I need the guys to help some of the guys set up for tonight. We've got to get the chairs out. <clears throat> be here at 5 o'clock. We'll have a great time. You know the, what we're going to do. And I'll have a meeting for everybody in about five minutes uh, for a restart. We'll get that all put together. In fact, let's wait. To tear everything down, do I have the meeting? I'll have it very quickly, and then we can tear it down. That way I'll I'll get done real quick. It's going to be a short meeting. That's our word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. Father, thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We do love you. Thank you for all you do for